Sometimes you just need a little spiritual guidance to help get your life back together. It can be compared to mosaic art. Many little pieces that come together to form something beautiful. Welcome to the Mosaic Garden. Your host is mosaic shaman, Christy Ellen. Christy and her guests are here to ensure that your life is just as you deserve it to be. Happy. Now, here's your host, Christy Ellen. Welcome to the gardens. And today we're going to share in a conversation about changing life's course, the course of your life. So glad that you're here today. As we are sharing in changing your story and changing your life, all things are possible when you take the action steps to walk through your fears and let go of what you don't want to have what you do want. And as we usually do in the garden, we're going to start it out with a schematic meditation prayer. So I'm so happy you're in the garden here today because this is the most important thing you can be in doing at this time is connecting. And we're going to connect to the earth and connect to our higher source. So I want you to take a moment and sit down. Remember to drop into your breath because your breath is the important part of that. The breath that goes into the belly, allowing that softness and relaxation of the belly. And then on the exhale, allowing any negative thoughts to leave the body. Any thoughts of the to-do list to leave the body. So we're going to breathe in. And we're going to hold it. One, two, three, four. And we're going to breathe out. And then we're going to hold that. So what we're going to do is breathe into the count of four, hold for the count of four, exhale for the count of four, and then hold. And then we'll do this again. Ready? Breathe in. One, two, three, four, hold. One, two, three, four, exhale. One, two, three, four, hold. Now I'm going to do it with you this time without counting. So breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. What that does is it quiets the mind so that you can drop inside. So with that breath, I want you to breathe in. Drop into the center of your garden, that place where you go, where you feel safe, protected, and loved, that divine place where your higher self lives. And we asked the spirits and the elements of love and light to enter this space today as we go in and learn about changing life's course, as we know that all things are possible when we let go of what we don't want to have what we do. We know there's a divine source a God source that loves us, cares for us, and looks after us. Its divine purpose is for us to have love and joy and happiness in our life. We ask that divine source to be with us, even when we're having struggles and times that don't appear to be what we want them to be. We ask that we at this time can really reconnect it to our higher understanding, our higher source, that our hearts may be open to hear the message that we are sharing today about changing life's course. Because when you change the story, you change your life. Namaste and welcome to the garden. 
You can go and listen to more of these meditations. You can get a healing meditation that's a bands of protection at soulhealerspath.com. There's a seven-day schematic healing meditation that will change your story and change your life. Practiced every day, this meditation will bring clarity into your life, allowing all trapped emotions to leave the body so that you can have space for the good things coming into your life, those good positive emotions. Change Life's course is about letting go and making new choices. What do you desire most in your life right now? Do you have a higher power and a higher source you go to? Do you have a higher aspiration for something more? Can you call on that higher source and that higher power to be with you as you're moving forward? A drive to thrive, not just to survive, is what we have in our human DNA inside of us, in our heart source. And that higher source has this desire for us to thrive, to thrive, to grow, not just survive, but to thrive. Like the budding flower that we plant in the garden, those seeds that break through and grow into these beautiful, inspiring ideas and thoughts that when we put them in the ground and we nurture them with understanding, love, growth, and all possibilities, they burst through the ground and and come to be these beautiful, inspiring lights that shine out to the world. You know, I, I know I refer to the scripture, do not hide your light under a bushel. You are a light to the world and you have something to share. Each of us has a drive and a desire to matter in life to thrive and to come from a deep inside, a deep feeling inside us, a deep understanding of our God-given right to live and give back, God-given right to shine in this world because we are all a piece of that God source that created us, that divine love and light. You see people in life that make a difference because they had the desire to shine and go after the purpose, to come here and be even more than they even thought possible. When they were told they couldn't do something, they didn't listen, they moved through it. We can look at people such as Nelson Mandela, who spent most of his life in jail, but then came out and played a crucial role in bringing about the end of apothecary and, and, and creating democracy in Africa. He ended this practice that was not fair and it didn't bring equal writes to people, and many of his fellow people were being put to death from it. And he came out and created democracy. He didn't come out bitter. He came out with love and light and understanding after being in jail most of his life, being incarcerated, for something that he believed in, something that was right and good. He didn't let that seed die. He continued to grow it, even though life was difficult for him. Then there's Helen Keller, who was born death and blind and yet she learned to read and write and gained a bachelor's degree she helped others with recreate by creating social welfare she fought for that i shouldn't fight for that she stood for that because i don't like that word fight because when we fight for something we don't create it we create the resistance of fighting for it so she created and she stood for social welfare she helped the disability rights act and she helped with women's suffrage And she was an amazing woman who did not let any obstacles that appeared to be real but were not get in her way. And then you look at at, um, Gandhi and Muhammad Gandhi who put 
who was put in jail several times because of his policies of nonviolence. He wanted to help create um, this independence in India, which he did through his prophecies and his um, profiteering of nonviolence. He created a life of nonviolence. We look at him all the time now. He's left the planet, and still we go back and we look at how he used his policies of nonviolence to create a climate for India for the Indians of independence in India. And we can learn from these stories. And Rosa Park, who took a stand and also went to jail for her stand, who helped with equal rights and helped in injustice that had gone on for many, many years of, our, of human people. Human, we're all human, no matter what color, race, or creed we come from or religious background we have. We all are connected to that same God source. And Thomas Edison, who was fired, I found out, I read this the other day, he was fired from his first job because he leaked acid on his boss's desk from a chemical experiment he was he was doing. And did he give up? No, he became the most profound inventor of his time. Without him, we would, we would go without so many things that we take for granted. And I believe that there are things in life that happen for reasons and lessons that we learn and lessons to be learned from them, lessons to grow from. Um, we were going to church this week, and on the way, we took the motorcycle over, and I was feeling a little uneasy about it because we weren't wearing all the motorcycle gear because we were going to church. And um, we got to church, and we had this great sermon, and the minister, uh, he just gave this inspirational talk on how to overcome obstacles and move forward. And then we came out, and the key had been left on the motorcycle, so the battery had run down, and it wouldn't start. And then someone tried to come help jump it, and that fried something inside the, the motorcycle itself, so it was not going to be able to go at all. And we live an hour away, so we had to call Uber to come pick us up. And and all of this was going on. I watched this meltdown happening. And I kept thinking, this isn't there's there's a reason why we're not riding the motorcycle. There's a reason why we're not supposed to be on this motorcycle. Well, we got in the car with the Uber driver who was having some very difficult times in his life in a relationship, something that I'm good at and know about. And he was talking about a triangle. I was he was getting on a triangle of disempowerment where he was creating obstacles in his life by trying to rescue the situation and then becoming the victim and then becoming the perpetrator. We talked about this triangle before. So for a moment, I want to have you look at a triangle you have in your life. And if you create a triangle, there's there's three sides to that. And anytime you try to rescue someone on the triangle, you go to the other side of the triangle, which is you become the victim. You go out to help someone thinking you know better than they do, and then you end up being the victim in that situation. And then you become the perpetrator, the person coming at them, the person that's causing difficulties in their life because they didn't do something the way you wanted. Um, I call it the triangle of hell, and they call it the triangle of disempowerment. For me, it's hell. It's, it's really literally be hell to when I get on that triangle with somebody. So you you don't have a business getting in someone's life unless they're a child, and you're still a caretaker for that child. So I got to t- share with him some of the things I learned um, from my experiences as a healer. And by the time I got out, he thanked me so much for this difficulty he was having in his life. And I looked at that and thought, well, maybe that's the reason the motorcycle didn't run. Or maybe we just didn't get in a wreck that we would have got in. Um, and we could have looked at this so much different that we could have got mad and upset and we had to drive here and we had to go back and all these things. But the whole time I was holding this center of peace. Now, the person I was in a new relationship with, he hasn't learned all these tools. So, he was having meltdowns, and then he was realizing, and then by the time we got through talking, he was understanding that if we keep that center of peace as we go through this process, 
that it's much easier. So I believe things happen for a reason in life. I believe there's certain things that, that happen. And in those messy times when things go wrong, you get to make choices. You get to decide if you're going to do something new with your life or if you're going to get to stay in the mess because things are going to happen. Things go wrong and we have to tr- decide how to deal with them. Um, have you had a time in your life where things did go wrong and you, you just kept pushing through it and you just kept going on and it got worse and worse and worse? And so the thing is to step back and take a moment to look back and say, wait a minute, I'm going to step away from this and I'm going to see there's another way to do this, another way to settle this. And if you can step back, you can see things from a new perspective. As a shaman, we talk about that going into eagle, the highest on the medicine wheel, that you can see things from a higher perspective and you're not part of the problem and the struggle. You know, there's times in your life where you may have leaped in too soon to something. You may have stayed too long in a situation. Um, You may have went for the grass greener and thought that was going to make things better and it didn't. Those are things that happen in life, situations that we get into. It just seemed like a good idea at the time. You know, you have these things that happen. You go, out. Wow, it just seemed like a good idea at the time, and it didn't turn out. The truth is that we will make mistakes, and we will fall down, and things will not look like we want them to. They'll look like they failed. Motorcycles will break down. Things will happen in life. You know, um, I learned this key, and the, the key is that pretend there's a line going across the screen here. In front of you, you have a line. And this line says, on the left-hand side, there's me. And the right-hand side, there's success. And we have been taught on that pyramid of that line that the me is in the middle. You're in the middle. Me in the middle, success on the right, failure on the left. When the truth of that scenario is you are on the right and failure is in the middle and success is on the other side. So if you ever want to get to success in your life, you have to be able to go through the failure to get to success. It's part of life. It teaches you what you need to do and what needs to be done next. Failing is just a part of it. You can call it a mistake. You can call it whatever you want. I call it a learning experience because it's part of life. It teaches us what we want. In order to know what you want into life, you have to know what it is you don't want. And that will help you know what it is you want. Because if you don't want this, you want the opposite of that. And if you look at the opposite of that, you can start seeking and going after that. Letting go of what's not working and what does makes all things possible. Change the story and you change your life. Go to soulhealerspath.com, soulhealerspath.com to learn more about that. I just heard a joke from my minister in church I want to share with you. And there was a painter named Jack. And Jack went out and he painted houses and he would give a very low bid. And the way he could do these houses with a low bid is he would thin the paint and he would thin the paint and he put a thin layer of paint on. He wouldn't do a really great job. And he was hired to do a church and he came in and he was painting the church and he thinned down the paint and he was painting the walls and all of a sudden the rain came and he was painting the outside and the rain came and washed all the paint away and thunder and lightning came. It knocked him off the ladder and onto the ground and he thought he was going to die. He was laying there on the ground and he's praying to God and he said, please, Please, God, help me. What's wrong? Help me. I'm sorry. Help me. Help me do something different. And God said, repaint and thin no more, my son. Repaint and thin no more, my son. So sometimes we need to repent. repent. We need to think and we need to sin no more. We need to think of something new, just like this painter. We, We try to go through life using thin things to get by the veneer of stuff. And then God washes it away and says, start over, start over. 
And we get to repent, rethink, and discern and start over. Know what you want, and you'll get what you want. Most people in life don't know what they want. They don't get what they want because they don't know it. So we're going to talk today with a guest I have here on the show, and she's going to share with us life experiences. She's going to share with us how to create new life experiences. She's going to change the course of your life, and this is what she does. Her name is Donna Vosk, Donna Carol Voss. She is a Berkeley graduate, author, and former pagan. Now she's a devoted Mormon and a stay-at-home mom and raising three adopted siblings. Now, the way I understand that, that these three siblings are that she adopted them together. We're going to find out in a moment when we talk to her, when we come back from break, and we'll bring her on to talk about changing the course of your life. Thank you, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. It's time to live an inspired life. Join Christy Allen, the Mosaic Shaman, as she enhances the quality of your life. Healing with art is Christy's focus. At SoulHealerPath.com, if you follow the steps and use the skill that Christy Ellen teaches in Soul Healer's Path Life Coaching, doing your part and taking 100% of the responsibility for your life, changing your life story, then in one year's time, you could be living the inspired life of your dreams. Soul Healer's Path Life Coaching offers four life coaching packages, starting with the Serpent Path, which is all about awareness and letting go of what you do not want to have and embracing what you do. Go to Soul Healer's Path and sign up for a one-month session of Clearing the Light Body. So come and walk the medicine wheel with Christy Ellen. Visit soulhealerpath.com or call 435-260-9598 for a special newcomer's one-month coaching package for just $300. Christy Ellen is an intuitive healer and master creator. Let her guide you to living the life to which you were born to live. And go from ordinary to extraordinary. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. This is Welcome to the Mosaic Garden with Christy Ellen. To connect with the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you may send an email to healingart.kp at gmail.com. Now, back to Welcome to the Mosaic Garden. Welcome back to the garden where we're having a conversation about changing the life course change the course of your life and it is a pleasure because I'm going to be bringing on Donna Carol Voss who actually knows about this. There's some interesting things about Donna. She's in her 50-something. She loves rap music, outrageous expensive shoes and people who own their flaws and call her on hers. I like that last part. Donna, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So we were talking a little bit in the break when I we were talking about the motorcycle show that 
um, story that I was sharing. You said you had some um, story about gospel doctrine that you share with that. Will you explain that to me and our guests? It's, it's not, yes, it's, it's my own gospel. It's called the Gospel of Structural Obstacles. And okay. I think you can relate to it even if you're not religious because we all have experiences like you did where the motorcycle wouldn't start, you needed to do the Uber, or we, miss our, we miss our plane, uh, you know, we, we can't uh, get to the kids' recital in time, whatever it is. I like to think of that as God showing us what the target isn't. Like, we think we want to catch that plane. We think we want to ride that motorcycle home. But really what we want is to have that experience that you had with the Uber driver which, I mean, fed your soul and fed his soul. So I, when things happen, I always look for, well, what, what is available to me now or what can I do for someone now that I couldn't have if I'd gotten what I thought I wanted? Oh, I like that. If you've gotten what you thought you wanted, because um, we, get caught, we get caught up in thinking this is the way things are supposed to be and this is what I'm going to get out of here. We miss the gems and the experiences that show up. We don't see the beauty when... I, I, you know, I was going to church a few weeks ago, and as I rushed in, I had my mind on taking this movie back to the library, and I was on my way there, and I passed this woman who was saying hello to me, and it hit me when I got to the library. I just totally ignored her. So I came back, and I apologized, and I gave her a hug, and we had a great conversation. And then what we had been talking about on the way to church is how we multitask so much that we're not seeing life. And we think this is like a great thing to multitask. And in, in our relationship, relationship with my partner now, we have decided to stop multitasking as much as we possibly can because we're not seeing the beauty in the moment because we're focusing on what we need to do next and we're not present in our lives. So true. So true. Yeah. And being a mother does require sometimes that multitasking thing. I mean, there's so many things going on that we, we get to uh, to do. I raised four children myself, so I, I understand the, the mothering part of being a, a – I was a stay-at-home mom as well when I raised my children. I was lucky enough to be able to, to stay home with my four children when I was doing that. Now, it says that you have um, – you've adopted four um, siblings. Are they your siblings or where are they siblings to each other? They're siblings to each other, three of them. We adopted okay. them from the county of San Diego. When my oldest son was eight, his sister was five, and their little brother was one. So I had never been around kids. I was in my 40s. I didn't think I wanted kids until it was too late to me to make my own, really. So my husband, who's such a good man, when he married me, uh, did not want me to miss out on the opportunity and agreed to adopt these kids with me. Now, he's 15 years older than I am. So right now he's 70 with a 14-year-old. That's, that's quite a man. But uh, yeah, you know, they were taken away. <laughs> I know. Believe me, he's a stud. Uh, they were taken away from their birth parents because of drugs and mental illness and neglect and just some really awful things. And I was such an idiot, I had no idea. Oh, I want to be a mom. Oh, I want to be a mom, yeah. I said to my husband, I want six. I want a real family. He's like, uh, he's like uh, I raised two. Believe me, one would be plenty. I'm like, no, oh, no, I want six. Well, we got three. I'm like, why? Why didn't they tell us how hard it would be? So it was I, pretty, I, uh, pretty rough. I hear you on that. I I was going to have seven. Actually, I was pregnant seven <laughs> times, but I was going to have seven children in my mind. And when they got into their teenage years, I was like, four was enough. <laughs> it's oh, beautiful. Gosh, yes. I'm grateful for those four. But at the same time, if I'd had seven, I think I would have gone crazy. So actually, my God source knew what was better for me than I did at the time. There you go. Yeah, it, what seems sometimes in our lives as um, God saying no is actually a blessing when we look back on it. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So raising children in a new generation has to have its challenges in this world right now. And mine are, teen- mine are um, not teenagers, mine are grown up. I, I have a grandmother and have a one and a half year old and my oldest is 35 and my youngest is 20, 20. God, they're going to turn, turn here 27. It's going to be 28. They're changing dates of their birthdays are in July. So they're all going up a year. Um, and that's exciting. But now when I look at what people are going through, because this world is in a world of entitlement, I see children that think they're entitled to everything. How is that um, raising this new generation of children? Well, I have a special edge because I'm just not very nice. So uh, we never had trouble with my kids getting too much or being treated too easily. In fact, my mom teased me early on. She said, you're like Captain Von Trapp without the whistle, <laughs> which, you know, <laughs> it, it, it works. It has its, has its, uh, has its working. But I, I am really old school and very hard-nosed when it comes to making my kids earn everything. We live in a very affluent area. Everybody around us from the, you know, the time they're out of the womb has a cell phone and a quad and, you know, just all the toys and all the bells and whistles. And I always told my kids, no, you know, you want them, you have to earn them. Because I'm thinking when my kids grow up and they're 18, 19, and they have that, you know, beginning of life where they're eating ramen every night and sitting on cardboard boxes, well, you know what? It's fun. It's exciting. And they, they build from there. If they've had the boat and the iPhone and the this and the that, and then they go to that part of your life where you can't sustain that quality of life, that, that style, that lifestyle, that's a recipe for misery. Yeah, they go into shock. I, I see that I, even even as as I raised my children to work, we had chores. We we own a construction company. We lived in a, on a farm community. Um, their grandfather raised cattle, so they got to milk cows and do all that. They grew up working, and I grew up in a working family as well. And uh, when they were eight years old, they did their own laundry, and they would complain and say, I remember my daughter once saying to me, I'm going to call social services on you. And I said, well, go ahead. They're going to put you in a home you're not going to like. <laughs> it's not going to be as nice as this because I was telling her she couldn't she couldn't go anywhere until she had her room cleaned. Um, yeah, and so they, they got to buy their own school clothes when they were um, in high school because there was opportunities for them to work. So now they're very productive adults who give back to the community and work really hard. And not just working hard physically, but they want to make a better planet and everything they do can contributes to that. So I saw the payoff of that. And I've also been able to look around and see what's not paying off. I I was on a bus going to uh, the Bells and the driver on the bus said, I need everyone on the bus to be quiet because there are bikers and hikers on the road and I need to pay attention because I have to be careful that no one gets hurt and I've got a busload of people. And I'll give you some information about this ride, but I need you to be quiet. Now, two girls got on the the bus. They were in their early 20s and they were going on and on and on about inappropriate conversation. By the way, it was a sexual conversation about their experience with a guy and their boyfriends and they were talking about things that were explicit. We didn't want to hear about it. And they sat be- two rows behind me and they kept talking. They kept talking through the whole thing and he kept asking. So he finally, you know, he asked again and he said, I need you guys to really be quiet. And they were very close to the front of the bus and their conversation didn't miss a beat. And finally, I just stood up and turned around and said, you know what? He's talking to you. He's asking you to be quiet. But I'm imagining that you need to stand up and share with everyone what's going on because what's in your life is more important than anyone else's human life. So go ahead and tell us all what's going on. We're hearing explicit things about your sexual life anyway, which are totally inappropriate and I don't want to hear about. 
And she shut up and I shut up and everyone shut up. And then when we got the bus ride, when we got off the bus, she said, that's that B-I-T-C-H that said something <laughs> on the bus. And I said, you're right. You, and you're the one that has the entitlement issues. And I see well, this going on. You know what? Yeah. I mean, you're my oh, kind. yeah. I mean, I no nonsense. This was outrageously ridiculous what's going on around us, that people aren't even aware that there's someone else in existence. So how are you raising your children to be different? I, I think it's critical that children understand they do not have the status of adults. So, for instance, in our community, lots of the grown-ups, and sometimes I use that word loosely, they want the kids to call them by their first name. And I, I just don't like that. I, I think that if you have not had a mortgage, been through a health crisis, uh, you know, given birth to a child, had a job you didn't want to go to and went anyway, if you have not really had been through the school of hard knocks, don't call me Donna. I'm not Donna to you. I am Mrs. Voss or Ms. Voss or, what, you know, just show me that respect. And also I think that when you make adulthood something to strive for, like, no, you can't stay up as late as I can. I'm the grown-up. No, you can't have this. I'm the grown-up. You, you, you induce the uh, anticipation and the desire to move forward. I think if you make childhood just so cushy and so awesome and so why would I want to grow up? I'm Peter Pan. I've got everything right here. So I've, I always was very careful to make sure that my kids knew their place, not just with me as an authority figure, but with all you know, all the people around. In fact, all my friends wanted my kids to call them by their first name, and I said, no, you can call her Miss Dana or Mr. George, but you, you just cannot call them straight up Dana and George because you're not their peer. I agree with that. That's why people aren't, they have children that are leaving home in their 30s. They have exactly. people in their 30s, 40s still living at their house. They've made it too nice. Even, right. if, even if you come as a guest in my house, I have a nice guest room, but my bed's, that bed's not comfortable enough for you to stay forever on. You know, it's, <laughs> I don't make, <laughs> I, well, I don't want to move him back in. You know, it's just coming Note for a visit. Self. Make bed <laughs> uncomfortable. Make bed slightly uncomfortable so that they won't leave after three or four days. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we are living kind of in this world where everything is instantly given now. So what what is your opinion on that, and how do you, you cope with the instant, like, give it to me now, give it to me now? Do you have that going on in your family? I mean, you know you're seeing it around you. Oh, no. No, my family has none of that. Psych! No. I was just actually um, being mother of the year and yelling at my 14-year-old because he, uh, you know, he was exposed to drugs in utero with his birth mom, and he struggles a little bit, but he also is 14, and he wants what he wants when he wants it. So I have to tread that line where I recognize what his limitations are. I know the values I'm trying to instill. I'm supposed to be a good example, which I was not today, but I always try to build in a little bit of delay of gratification. He wants it desperately. Okay, you know what? Five minutes. Sometimes we'll actually set the timer. That's how, how much structure he needs. But I'm always trying to teach him how to delay gratification. I've, I've read studies that the most, the single most important predictor of success in life is the ability to delay gratification. They've done these studies where they, they put four-year-olds in a room with a, with a marshmallow. And mm-hmm. then on hidden camera, they watched and they said, you know, just don't, don't eat the marshmallow. <laughs> and they tracked him. And the kids that ate the marshmallow had a lot more impulsivity problems and that, this, that, and the other. The ones who could actually refrain from eating the marshmallow, they're the ones that grew up to be Supreme Court justices. And I mean, it's fascinating. 
Yeah, I, I, I've heard that study too, and it makes perfect sense to me because if you're getting everything you want when you want it, there's nothing to look forward to. There's no working for it. Um, there is something to be said about not getting, about having hardships and hitting walls and not getting what you want. What can be learned from that, from having um, hard times that happen in life? Do you think that's good for children to have struggles? Absolutely. I feel so bad for kids whose parents try to make it easier for them. Oh, you know, the teacher should have given them a better grade. Or, you know, please invite my son to your son's birthday party. Whatever the parents do, out of, I'm sure, the best of intentions. Because no matter what you're able to accomplish for your child when they're a minor, at some point they have to go work for a boss. They have to live in a neighborhood where their neighbors don't want to make life easy for them, where they expect everybody to pull their own weight. So I think that uh, disappointment is like inoculation. You want a little bit of it along the way. Because a little bit of it now, you deal with a little bit better tomorrow. And then, you know, the, the disappointment's built. Today it's just, oh, so-and-so didn't invite me to their birthday party. Tomorrow I didn't make the soccer team. You know, in, in college, she doesn't love me. He doesn't love me. And who knows what comes after that. But if you have not built up your disappointment muscles, then, I, again, yeah. I just think people are trying to be nice, and in, and in being nice, they are dooming their children as grown-ups to be miserable people. Yes, the disappointment muscle buildup is, is important. I know adults that are throwing tantrums because little things don't go right as adults because they didn't learn to deal with disappointment in their teenage years. Some of that comes from, you know, addictions and different things. You, you kind of hit on addiction just a little bit. And I have four children, and one of them did deal with addictions. And I went to learn a lot about addictions because um, what I found out when I was working with the women's shelter is there's three parts of development. The brain, the back part is when you're an infant it's all about your needs being met. The middle part is you're kind of about me as I'm still your teenager and you're wanting everything your way. And the front part is the cognitive part of the brain that develops when you become an adult. Now, that happens when, um, for my grandmother, it happened when she was 13 and she crossed the plains with the Mormon pioneers. She had to develop the cognitive part of her brain because she was in charge of, as an adult. Now we have people in their 30s and 40s that still haven't developed the cognitive part. And when an addiction comes on in your teenage years, you're still growing up as if you were a 15-year-old. I had a person on the show that talked about addictions, and he said he had to learn how to be an adult because addiction started when he was 15. So addictions doesn't just mean drugs and alcohol. It can be addicted to getting what you want and having your way all the time. Absolutely. It's that disappointment muscle. I like what you you call that, these learning experiences that you you learn from. Did you have some of those in your own life? (laughs) Ha, ha. You know what? I did. I had lots and lots of them. It's funny because my first real one, I didn't realize until I was older how um, difficult my childhood was. You don't know until you look back, oh, not everybody lived like that. But going through it when I was 17 and I opened that letter from Stanford and they said no, I just was crushed. That was the first, you know, real disappointment I remember ever encountering. And then, oh, I got to Berkeley. That was actually better. But I laugh about it because now I look back and every single thing that went wrong, even the fact that my mother was very, very difficult. I love difficult people. Everything, structural obstacle, everything I could not control growing up, everything that happened to me gave me such a jewel that I now get to use in my life uh, to share with someone else, to make me happy. So I, I learned very early on not even to really spend a lot of time being disappointed. Uh, now, this is not when I'm in my 20s. I'll say this is in my mm, late 40s, early 50s. Because once you realize that it's all good, 
it's all good. Whatever it is, just see what you can find in it. There's always, you know, you know that joke about the little boy who's um, going through a pile of manure and he's just digging and digging and digging and, and somebody goes, why are you digging through all that manure? He says, well, with all this manure, there must be a pony in here somewhere. Exactly. I love that story. That is a great one, too. So um, how do you deal with difficult people in your life? I love them. I just love the challenge. I love the stimulation. I love the fact that uh, I think a lot of people draw back from them, and so I love to lean into them. I find that I am, uh, sometimes I'll be mm, kind of like the bridge between someone who other people might find a little socially awkward or, or obnoxious, like myself, I can be. And so I kind of smooth things out because I really, I really like regular people, but they're not as interesting as people who have kind of have been to the dark side and pulled themselves back or who have explosive this or, you know, flawed that. I just find them so interesting. And, I, and because I'm fascinated by them and I'm not uncomfortable around them, I think they, they're comfortable around me. And they just, I mean, I just enjoy them. I really do. And plus, I just, I love intense uh, interactions, interpersonal interactions. I've never met one I didn't like. So there's a certain, mm, I don't know, arrogance <laughs> on my part yeah. that I enjoy it so much. Oh, we, we have a lot more in common. I, I, I'm loving this. I'm smiling as I'm listening because it was always my nieces and nephews that always got in trouble that I really liked. I found they had personality, the ones that were always flatlining and doing good things and following along with all the crowd had um, less intrigue to me than the ones that were trying new things and figuring them out and, and maybe making messes and mistakes, but they had so much personality to them that that I, I was drawn to that. I, I see you have a sense of humor, so how important is humor in parenting? Oh, I tell you, I, <laughs> I don't know that I would have survived without the sense of humor, and, and as a parent, you may know that there's a certain perverse delight you take when your kid's driving you crazy, and you can laugh a little bit, mm, I don't know, what's the word, not maturely, not at them, but inside if you're snarking or, you know, like, I don't know what the word is, where you're just happy, rubbing your evil little hands together that something went wrong for them. That's, that's the kind of humor I enjoy. And I also loved making it a chess game. So no matter what they did, I would try to be, you know, two steps ahead. Um, it's so funny. Like my, my, uh, my 14-year-old, oh, I'm not feeling well. Can you come get me at school? So I go down there and say, what are your symptoms? Let me feel your forehead. Uh, now, you know, if you come home, you have to be in your bed all day upstairs. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, I feel good. I feel good. So then I just love playing that chess <laughs> game later. We're like, wait, wait, wait. Didn't you tell me that? You, oh, okay. Well, if you're feeling better now, you can go pick up the dog poop in the backyard. What? Yeah, no, you decide if you're feeling well enough to get out of bed. There's a big job out there for you. Thanks. So I just loved that part. That, yes, the, the home I grew up in, too, was if, if you were sick, something was going to happen. Um, you were going to have to do a bunch of work. You didn't, really didn't want to stay home. It was funner to be in school, actually, than to miss out on that. Um, I have this... Somewhat just made me think of this little story. Uh, I don't know how my son will feel about this, but we were going on a trip, and I had worked for the University of Utah Outdoor Program, and I planned this trip to go explore on a project that I needed to do for work, and they didn't want to go. I had four children. One wanted to be there. Three did not. A lot of mishaps. Um, I took some food. I thought Anasazi beans would be a good idea to, to have on this trip, and we go on this Anasazi adventure. I didn't know you, know you had to soak those for two days before. Oh, and I didn't know that the pancakes that had um, blueberries in them needed to be rehydrated. And um, 
<laughs> so the meat, the food was lousy. The wind was blowing. It blew the the back door off of the van when they opened it to go grab the tent that was flipping through the for, through the campground <laughs> with all of our gear in it and our propane flying out. And so all these things were happening. We were under a great deal of stress. It was happening over and over. And I had a fourteen year old daughter, and there's Boy Scouts camping there, and she was appalled that she had to live sleep out there where the sand was covering her, and she didn't look beautiful. And all these things were going, and I had three children who just didn't want to be there. And we got up the last day to go hike in a canyon, and I couldn't find the canyon. We found the wrong spot. So we're up above the canyon looking down on it. And I'm saying, we got to go back and go in this canyon. And they've had it. They've had it. We had this dog named Kita, unruly dog. And my son, who was at the time, he was um, seven, eight years old, eight years old. He took the dog and leashed it to his shorts. And his sister, who was 14, put her hands on her hips and said, don't do that. I wouldn't put that dog there if I were you, you know. And he was like, don't tell me what to do, whatever. A squirrel ran out in front of him. And the dog took off after the squirrel and literally ripped his shorts right off of him, taking him with him. And he's standing there in his underwear crying, going, yelling at the dog. And his sister's got his, her hands on the hip saying, I told you, I told you, <laughs> And we literally fell on the ground laughing so hard because all the tension was broken. Now, he didn't think it was funny. And when we tell the story, he doesn't see the humor in it. But he was like, these are my favorite shorts. And he's trying to hide his underwear. And <laughs> and those moments make for magic for storytelling it's later. It's so storytelling true. I, later. The times I've broken up laughing, crying, my, they're jewels. They're just the, the moments we remember best. So when you have a challenge with your children, you need to deal with discipline and they're not, they're not acting out and you get angry. How do you deal with that? When I'm angry or just stop yeah, when being you're, angry? Yeah, when yeah, I'm angry? Because you know, they can irritate you. Children can irritate you. Yes, can't they though? I have this uh, theory that uh, children's job, divinely speaking, is to show you the gunk in yourself. Because, you know, I thought I was a great person until I had kids and then I realized, oh my gosh, I've got a lot of things going on that I need to fix. So they, they really bugged me initially, especially when I blamed them for all that stuff. But as I started to realize, oh, okay, thank you, I just started to be more appreciative of what they, I, I have no patience, but I have a lot of it now, being a mom, and so just being forced <laughs> for sheer survival and sanity to develop patience, well, you know what, looking back, I'm grateful. So I, I started to look at them as um, like little challenges, and that if I could just, if I could get through the day without yelling, no matter what they did, I would feel good about myself. Wonderful. And you, you said something about failure is part of success, shame is not. Explain that to me. You, you oh, sent that note to me, so yeah. I want to know what that I, means. I think that is, that is actually a brilliant, if I do say so myself, a brilliant technique. Because you want kids to feel bad when they do bad, right? But it's so easy, especially for sensitive kids to fall into this feeling, shame, there's something wrong with me because I stole the bubble gum, because I hit my brother, whatever it is. So I used to tell my kids, only good kids feel bad about doing bad. So it gave them permission to feel bad. I wanted them to feel remorse, guilt, whatever. But it, it spared them from feeling shame. You're a good kid. That's why you feel bad about what you did. Yeah, that's so important. I like that. Because you said earlier that you messed up sometimes as a parent, because we do. How do you come back with yourself, and how do you help yourself through that when, when you mess up? I have to apologize. In fact, I, I was very, very hard on my daughter. I think mothers and daughters have that anyway. I think she was sent to me, you know, divinely 
to be the one that would just crush that gunk out of me that needed to go. But we had a very contentious relationship for a long time, and I, I, I was mean. I was mean. And so when I had kind of, like, kind of worked myself out after years, I took her to the park one day with some McDonald's shakes, and I just sat there for a while. And finally, when I got up my courage, I said, Kaylin, I just have to say I'm sorry. Uh, I, I, I thought it was your fault. I've been mean to you. I, I, I realize now you were helping me realize this was my stuff that I had to deal with and own, and I'm just really, really sorry. Will you forgive me? And she put her hand out on mine, and she was not at the time known for empathy, but she put her hand out on mine, and she said, it's okay, Mom. I love you. I forgive you. And I'm convinced that if parents would just go to that level where they just honestly humble themselves and say, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, will you please forgive me? Kids are so forgiving. Yeah, so that brings in how can compassion help with um, healing and, and dealing with bad behavior right there, whether it's yours or theirs, having compassion. I, I learned this when we went through the classes at San Diego County for the foster care and adoption, and I thought it was stupid. I wish I'd listened to it sooner. But the idea is that, especially with attachment disordered kids, but it works with anyone, when they're acting out, that is not the time to uh, kind of push them away by the punishment or the yelling or the consequence. You can actually, I'll say with my kids, if my, if my son is being out of control and yelling and whatever, I can say, would you like a hug? I give him the hug. He calms down. I say, okay, go to your room. We'll talk about this in a few minutes. So I don't need to withhold the, the compassion until after he has, you know, repented. It's okay to be compassionate while it's happening because it just helps them get back on their feet sooner. Wonderful. You wrote a book that's called One of Everything. What inspired you to write that book? <laughs> it's so funny. It was a completely accidental thing. I just happened to write something. Somebody happened to hear it and said, oh, you're a good writer. I'm like, oh, okay. What do I have to write? Mm, my life's been pretty crazy. <laughs> so I just decided to write it, and it mm-hmm. turned out to be just a humdinger of a book. Wow, and do you do you cover these different topics that you're talking about all of here, it. or is it okay? Oh, so all about of it. parenting I mean, and about oh, your all life. Of it. And I know Everything. that we we have so many topics we could go on here because there's so many things that that are great and juicy here. Um, but let's talk about just for a moment. You went from pagan to Mormon, and do you write about that in your book as well? I do. I I, I left no stone unturned, and it's not a pretty picture. I I really it's very raw. I put it all out there. You know, when I was reading about that, because I used to be Mormon myself, so I went in and read some of your blogs, and um, there were you said there were many paths to God, and God cares how we live our lives. God provides many tools to to fix it or to find find to find God, not to fix it. Well, to fix it too, but to also to find God. So, um, tell me a little bit about that, um, about it, how you feel about those many different paths to God. It's interesting. I I. I uh, wrote that because my business partner is gay. He lives out in Palm Springs, and I had been with him and his husband at their Unitarian Universalist church on Easter. And I was just very struck sitting there, because I've, I've always been very fascinated by religion. Obviously, I have quite a bit of experience with different kinds. And so we're there at the UU church, and I was just noticing, hmm, look, they have a prayer uh, thing. Look, they have a way of... of, of uh, organizing service projects. And I just was noticing all the differences. But at the same time, being Mormon, I, I don't think it's, you know, one God, many paths. I think there's one path. But I think that God gives us all different tools to get there. So, for instance, 
if I need glasses, I use glasses. If my business partner needs a hearing aid or if someone needs a cane. So we all have a different way that we are restored to more optimal health, meaning we get closer to that path. But I think the path uh, is that, you know, you love God or whatever you want to call it. Like my business partner calls it God. It's okay with him. But, you know, you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two greatest commandments. If you're in an, in an organized body of people that put that ahead of their own self-interest, that work together to help other people. I mean, if you're, if you're doing that path, you're on the path. It does, it, the tool might be a UU church. The tool might be Mormon. But the path, I think, is the same, and yet we all speak different languages, so we all need different tools. Yes, I agree with that. And I actually go to the Unity Church, so I went from Mormon to Unity Church. Yeah, I had a feeling when you were talking about it. (laughs) Yeah, um, and um, so you said God cares how we live our lives. Um, Elaborate a little bit on that, about God caring about our lives. Well, as you know, as a pagan, so I, I worshipped the goddess for a long time. I was married outside at night under the full moon. I did a tarot reading every day for 10 years. I mean, I was... I always throw myself into whatever I'm doing at the moment. And so I, I, when I, so I was raised Presbyterian, went through the paganism, came out on the other side, never wanted anything to do with a white male patriarchal god ever again. However, read my book. So I come to this place where I am now relating to God as my father, my literal father. And, you know, your father cares about what you do. I, I tell my kids all the time, you know, in the Mormon world, you've got to go on a mission, right? My kids are not going to go on a mission. They're just not. Uh, so I say to them, this is how Heavenly Father is. I would love it if you went on a mission. It's your choice. You're still welcome for Sunday dinner. So that's, that's how I see it. God cares how we live. Uh, he can't bless us if we're not living certain ways. Like if we're cheating on our spouse or we're hurting our children, abusing our children, He cannot bless us doing that. But short of that, He wants to bless us in every positive step we're taking. So even if my son decides not to go on a mission, which he did, he, he didn't, that's fine. But the Lord can bless him in other ways. Now, you can't get the exact same blessings, but that's okay. We get to decide. I think God or religion is just like nutrition. I know I shouldn't eat white sugar and white flour and fat, and I don't care. I'd rather die 10 years earlier and be happier. So I think people get to decide how much God and how they want to relate to God in their own life. That's the beauty of agency. Wonderful. I I like that um, take on that. Um, you know, I... I I, as I was sharing to you, with you earlier, I left the Mormon church about 12 years ago, and my mother still is, and my father's still Mormon. My mother was able to love me where I'm at. My father, we struggled. He passed away last year, but and when we left, we didn't. he didn't leave on good terms because he was angry. Um, so there's two ways you can look at this, and being open to understanding that you still love the person. I mean, I believe in God, and I'm a good person, and I do a lot of good things in the world. I've just chosen a different path to do that. And each one of my children have chosen a different path. I have two that still are very active in the Mormon church and two that are doing different things. Um, and, and that kind of brought it into a little bit. You answered part of it, but you can maybe answer a little bit more about how that makes you a different parent because of having that background. I think I am so well-suited to be my kid's parent because, I mean, I love me some Mormons, but the ones that have grown up in Utah that have had the, you know, my son went on missions life, they cannot relate to a lot of the people I can. And I can relate, like I said, I'm in the middle. So I like the fact that I don't freak out. One, one of my sons at one point said, Mom, I think I'm gay. And I said, well, you know what? If you are, you are. 
you're a little young to worry about it. Let's just, let's just deal with it later. And I told my friend who baptized me, he goes, you are the right Mormon mother for that job, you know, because I didn't freak yeah. out. And well, that brings it uh, back th- to things happening for a reason. I, I know yes. we're getting ready to close, so I'm sorry about that. I wish we could go on. I'd actually like I to talk too. more about that. And, and I want you to, before we leave, I want you to talk a, a little bit more about where people can go find your book of One of Everything and what message you'd like to leave with our listeners today. One of Everything. You can go to oneofeverythingbook.com. You can go to donnacarolvoss.com. You can just search One of Everything on Amazon. But the, the, there's so many themes in the book. There's the mother-daughter theme. There's the spiritual transformation theme. There's the I was a slut and didn't know it theme. There's so much there. But what I think above all is be who you are. Let the chips fall where they may. There's a beautiful quote at the beginning of the, of the book by Andre Gide and Autumn Lees, and it says, it is better to be hated for what you are than loved for what you are not. I love that you love your children where they're at. And it's, it sounds like you love others where they're at as well. More of that is needed in the world. More of that will keep people going and, and searching to find and finding themselves in, in a place that gives them a path to God. Because I do believe there is just one God as well. I believe that one. Speaking with you, if you ever want to inter- have me come again, I'd love to talk to you again. Yes, we I would love to go on and on more. and on. We could go on and talk about the Mormon um, similarities and all of that. I'm just going to tell you that if I had been raised by you in the Mormon church, I would still be there. <laughs> can I, can I uh, tell you, that, that brings tears to my eyes, and I do think that's why the Lord let me go through. I mean, my life experience, when my friend baptized me, he told his surfing buddies, if the Lord can get to Donna, he can get to anybody. But because I've had those experiences, I'm not the ethereal kind of Mormon that's like, oh, you know, angels in my home. No, I am a hard-driving, gritty, gritty person that realizes what the gospel can do for you. I get the point of how they merge together. So I'm not at the mercy of this kind of perfectionistic craziness. I'm like, Mm-mm, no, I yell at my kids. Uh-huh. No problem. Yeah, yeah, you, this is how the Lord looks at it. You're a perfect match to come into the Mormon Church, just as I can help people who have left the church because exactly. I understand the church as well. Exactly. Exactly. So. Okay, it's time to go, and um, we're getting ready to leave the show. And I just want to tell you, thank you so much for being here and sharing. It was it was an honor to visit with you. I totally enjoyed it, and um, and enjoy your humor. And I want people to know that they can go and listen and read your book um, one more time. T- put a plug in for your book, will you, please? One of everything. Uh, oneofeverythingbook.com, but go to donnacarolvoss.com, the website. You can read an excerpt. The first three chapters are there. You can listen to an excerpt because I, I recorded the audiobook myself. And if you just read the introduction, you'll get a feel for it. It's not G-rated, but it's very, because it's not a G-rated life. But there's nothing profane. There's nothing explicit. I'm kind of like a, you know, fade to black, real life done tastefully kind of girl. But it's a, it's a very powerful story. No one has ever read it without thanking me and saying, wow, I appreciate what you put out there about yourself. Good. I look forward to learning more about that. So go to DonnaCarolVoss.com and look into her book, One of Everything. Thank you, Donna, for being here. And and we'll talk again soon, I'm sure. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. And for everyone else out there, listen in next week when we'll be talking about changing your life story, change your life, change your story, change your life. All things are possible when you're willing to let go of what you don't want to have what you do and walk through your fears. This is Christy Allen, the Mosaic Shaman. Go to soulhealerspath.com to learn out more about 
the video that's out there and all the different programs that I'm teaching. I'm looking forward to talking to you in the garden next week. Namaste. Thank you for listening to Welcome to the Mosaic Garden. Christy Ellen hopes that you will join her on another journey next Tuesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Empowerment Channel. 